Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. These guys weren't recruiting people for the kingdom of God. They weren't drawing people to the Lord. They were drawing people to themselves. Paul will later write and warn that in his absence, there in the church of Ephesus, that savage wolves would come in from without, not sparing the flock, and perverse men would rise up from within, trying to draw men aside unto themselves. Part 2 of Pastor Sam's message, Hypocrisy, or How to Be Religious and Still Go to Hell. We're in Matthew 23 and we'll start up in verse 5. This is a definitive look at hypocrisy and a view of how our Lord feels about it. Even a little hypocrisy goes a long way in destroying us. But, but they were doing this not to please God, not to bless God, not to honor God, but to well gain the recognition and the adoration of men. Not just their phylacteries, but they enlarged the borders of their garments. These were a part of their prayer shawl. It was just to remind them of the law and that God was holy. But remember, their motivation was, hey, let's have men recognize us and take a look at us. They love the best places at feasts. Well, who doesn't? Of course, we're like that. We want the best seats if we go to a feast. What's the best seat at the feast? The closest to the table where the food is. But, but it's not just that, see. Maybe we could slide with that, but they wanted the best seats in the synagogues. And the synagogue wasn't set up like this. They had it set up where, well, if, if you were well, an outsider, you were in the back. And if you were a woman, you were in the back. And if you were a child, you were in the back. And pretty much the only people up front were those people that, well, they looked and acted and felt important and superior. And so these guys, man, they were not just near the front, they were up in the front where everyone could notice them. In fact, get this, their chairs didn't even face this direction, they faced that direction. How creepy would that be? Sitting with a whole bunch of people, let's see, uh, oh, people, I wonder if people are noticing me and how should I act so they'll think I'm spiritual? Let's see. Oh, wow, I don't know the words to this. That's going to be a bummer. And, but all of the things are, did I, or do my socks match? And, oh my gosh, mine don't. But all of those things would be on your mind. And, and so that's what was going on. They wanted to be in a position of prestige and honor. And they were doing it because, well, they wanted not God to applaud them, but men to applaud them. Then he says in verses 7 through 9, they loved greetings in the marketplace to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. Really, it's honored Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. And don't call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. He who, he who is in heaven. It's hard to say no matter how you say it. Spiritual father is really the point. We're not to tell our kids, they don't call me dad anymore, you know. It's unbiblical. Don't call me father. No. What they were talking about is, is an exalted spiritual father. And then don't let yourself be called teachers or exalted teachers, you know, reverend, father, teacher, for one is your teacher, the Christ. What he's saying is like, don't let titles be your thing. Don't let that be your badge of honor. Let it be a meek and humble serving spirit. Now, early in my ministry, I had some interesting experiences in this area. I started getting mail addressed to a guy named Reverend Allen. Now, I thought at first it was a mistake, and then I realized, oh, it really is my mail. They just don't know me. And, uh, and so Reverend Allen, I thought through it, and I thought, that's kind of weird. And then we started putting our services in the newspaper, and they put in the newspaper, Reverend Allen will be teaching on. And I went in, and I said, you know what? I don't want you to put Reverend Allen as teaching on anything. And, and they're like, well, why not? It says Reverend everyone else. 
And I'm like, well, I've been studying my Bible, you see. And reverend is only used of the Lord in Scripture. It's never used of anybody else. And I, I just feel a little uncomfortable using a title that's ascribed in Scripture only to the Lord and having it attached to my name. So I said, would you mind just putting pastor? And he's like, well, there's no way I can put pastor. And I'm like, well, why not? Well, we just can't do that. Now, here's the irony. There's two parts of the church page. One lists all the things that are happening, all the messages that the pastors are doing that day. So if you looked in yesterday's paper, it would say we're teaching on hypocrisy today. And, and so and, and, and on that part... Well, I couldn't get him to, to take off Reverend and put pastor. It just says Sam Allen. Something would have made my dad happy since I'm a junior. You see, hey, my damn name in print, you know, finally. But, but I, I couldn't get him to take, I could get him to take it off. I couldn't get him to put pastor. Now, why did I even want pastor? Isn't that a title? Well, not in the same sense. It means shepherd. It means servant. It's one who loves God's sheep, feeds God's sheep, protects God's sheep, cares for God's sheep. So I have no problem with someone calling me pastor because, hey, if, if I am at all, well, well, that's what I am. Someone who loves you guys and feeds you, nourishes you in God's word and, and does my best to protect you by warning you about the things out there and, and, well, and in here. But, but the bottom line is, on this other page, just next to that page, there's just a list of all the churches and where they are and the pastor's names. And lo and behold, it says Pastor Sam Allen, Pastor Larry Lane, Pastor um, you know, Dave Workman. And I'm like, how come it can say pastor over here, but it, it can't say pastor over here? And he said, well, you wouldn't understand. And I'm like... I mean, what is there about newspaper writers that can't use that word to describe you in two places on the same page? Well, I said, well, we're just not on the same page here. I went home and I did some more studying and I came back and, and I found that in the newer translations, they had taken the word reverend and they no longer use it. Now it says awesome God. And so I came back and said, hey, here's the deal. How I should put awesome Sam Allen is going to be preaching on or teaching from. But check the paper. It doesn't say that. He still won't do it. And uh, the bottom line is I wouldn't want it to say that either, but I just had to mess with him because I felt like the guy's just messing with me, you know? <laughs> but here's the thing. Why don't we want to wear titles? Listen, there's nothing wrong with accomplishment. If you're a PhD, that's wonderful. But if you have a card and it says PhD and you pass that out to every person you meet, that will distance them from you. They'll automatically assume that you're somewhere or someone or something that, well, they're really not on your level. And God never wants that, you see. And he certainly doesn't want that in the spiritual realm. I stopped golfing years ago because I'm just a hack. I'm bad. And, and, but I used to golf and I'd go out and golf with people I didn't know. And, uh, you know, golf is, well, one of the reasons I stopped is golfers like, well, rappers have a very slender vocabulary. And, uh, and it just seems like, you know, they curse a lot. Now, it's not that I can't live with that, but it's still, you know, it's a bummer. And I would never tell people who I was or what I did. You know, you just introduce yourself by name and you'd get out there on a foursome and you'd be about five, six, seven holes down and say, so Joe, what do you do? well, I'm a banker, or I'm an investor, or I'm so-and-so. Well, what do you do? And I'm, well, I'm a pastor. And they'd be like, oh, man, they start kicking the dirt, and, you know, and I'm so sorry about, you know. And I'm like, hey, you're a lousy golfer. I, you know, I understand why you're cussing, you know. And, but, but truly, we should be offended by that, and God certainly is offended by it. And, and in the end, I'm like, you know what? It's really the Lord. I mean, you're using his name in vain. If I were you, I wouldn't be asking me for forgiveness. I'd be asking him for forgiveness. And, and the bottom line is, these guys, well, they were taking titles, and they were wearing them as badges of honor, and it was causing distance between them and the people God wanted them to minister to. We don't want to let that happen to us. Then he gives us an age-abiding principle in verses 11 and 12. 
He who is greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself will be abased. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be great. Just aspire to be great in God's eyes, you see, not in man's eyes. If you make yourself a servant and you're a servant of all, not many people are going to say, man, you're awesome, you're wonderful, I'm just blown away by you. But God is going to say, I am so pleased and so blessed. Because there are so few that just say, Lord, whatever you want, whenever you want, whoever you want, I just want to serve. And so that's what he's called us to. Great in his sight, much better than great in man's sight. And whoever exalts himself abased, or humbled, whoever humbles himself, exalted. If you understand verse 12, that means you're going to be humbled either way. And I'd suggest it's much better to humble yourself and have the Lord lift you up than to exalt yourself and have the Lord have to, well, it's always a bummer to be humbled in front of other people. Well, he goes on now to pronounce eight woes on the religious leaders of his day. And this gets to the heart and the core. And they're going to be kind of rapid fire. We're not going to do a lot of exposition of them because, well, they speak for the most part for themselves. Eight woes, six times he uses the word hypocrites, play actor, pretender. And he says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. You neither go in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You see, that was an unforgivable one for our Lord. It was bad enough that they weren't entering into the kingdom, but they were supposed to be doorkeepers. They were supposed to keep the door open. And they were shutting it in men's faces. So woe to such a person. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Now James will later write that pure and undefiled religion before the Lord is to visit widows and orphans in their time of affliction. But not just to visit. The word actually means to go and to provide for, to, to make Make their needs, let them make their needs known and then you do all you can to alleviate that suffering and those needs. And, and, and so what he's doing is he's saying the very people that should have been going representing him, well, they went, but they were taking advantage of the widows. They were taking property from the widows instead of caring for them. And in the midst of it, they're like, well, let me pray for you at least. And he's like, man, prayer that's simply a pretense, you will receive the greater judgment. So it's the first of many that we'll see in sort of rapid succession. You can pray and you can still end up in hell. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, verse 15, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he's one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You can not only pray and end up in hell, you can evangelize and end up there. And here's why. These guys weren't recruiting people for the kingdom of God. They weren't drawing people to the Lord. They were drawing people to themselves. Paul will later write and warn that in his absence, there in the church of Ephesus, that savage wolves would come in from without, not sparing the flock, and perverse men would rise up from within, trying to draw men aside unto themselves. That's, that's exactly what he's talking about. And you've got to know that this is the essence of what goes on in cults. You know, cults, if you talk to a cultist, and if, you know, they, they usually, if you call them a cultist, it usually, well, it, it, it sort of puts a damper on the whole thing. But if you say your group or, you know, your thing, what's unique about it and well, where's salvation in it, one of the things you want to ask is, can you be sure that you're actually saved? Can you be absolutely sure that you're forgiven? And, and if they're honest with you, the vast majority would say, well, no one can know that. I want to tell you, biblical Christianity says otherwise. You can know that you're saved. These things we know. If we know we're in Christ, we know that we're sealed until the day of redemption and we are saved and we will be saved. We're headed to heaven, not because of our works, but because of his work for us. 
But the cultists, what they do is it's, it's salvation through affiliation. It's why when we have a baptism, we baptize into Christ Jesus in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not into Calvary Chapel. Why? We don't want anyone to ever misunderstand and think you're saved because you go here or you affiliate with us. Not so at all. It's not about us, it's about him. And cults, primarily, they're like, join our cult, become a member, do this, give that, serve here, and you, well, if things go right, you'll be saved. But the bottom line is, those people, they, they make converts, they make proselytes, they bring people into their fellowship. But, but they don't bring people to the Lord. And then those people go out and they're just filled with zeal because maybe their life was a mess like some of yours were. And, and I know people that were on drugs and they got involved in cults and they got away from the drugs, but they're still now in a cult. It's better than being stoned, but they're still lost spiritually. Woe to you blind guides, he goes on to say. There's a graphic picture for you. Scripture says if the blind lead the blind, they'll both fall in a ditch. And so he, they had figured out some loopholes and they were like, okay, well, you know, they had a problem with their oaths. They, they made oaths and they didn't want to keep them. So they, they came up with this idea. If you swear by the temple, well, you're off the hook. But if you swear by the gold of the temple, you're obliged to perform your oath. Fools and blind, he calls them. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold? And whoever swears by the altar, it's nothing. But whoever swears by the gift on the altar, he is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? What he's saying is, this, listen, it's the temple and it's the altar. Those are the things of God. Your gold and your gifts? Well, get it in perspective. They're only worth something because you're placing them in the temple or giving them to the altar or placing them on the altar. Then whoever swears by... The altar swears by it and all things on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it and him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits on it. What's he saying? Well, our Lord tells us, just let your yes be yes and your no be no. We don't have to take oaths. We don't have to swear on a stack of Bibles. We don't have to swear by all that's holy. In fact, we're just not to swear at all. And so he's saying, just don't take an oath. And if you do have to say yes to something. Will you do this? Well, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Then he talks about, well, gets beyond oaths and he talks about tithing. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Now, these guys were meticulous and many of you know and they're, they're tithing. They considered it such a big thing and, and they would count out nine seeds in their little herb gardens for us and one for God and nine more for me and one for God. They wanted to make sure they had it all right. But they were neglecting the things that were weightier. See, everything was out of perspective. Tithing, he says, it's good. God ordained it. He blesses it. He approves it. But it's not, it's not even on par with, well, what does the Lord require of us? We used to sing it, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And if we're not doing that, doing justly and loving mercy and walking humbly, then whatever else we're doing, well, it's possible we could hear the same thing. Woe to you, hypocrites, blind guides, he says in verse 24, who strain at a gnat, or strain out a gnat, excuse me, and swallow a camel. It's a picture I'm thinking that Jesus was using just to lighten the scene for a moment. It's a graphic picture, and it would have been funny to those who were hearing. You see, a gnat, it was the smallest unclean creature. You weren't to ingest it. It would render you unfit for worship or service. That's what it meant to be unclean. A camel, that's the largest unclean creature. And so he's basically saying, man, you guys would do anything to keep from swallowing a gnat, 
But you swallow a camel without a thought. Now, the kids in the audience would have thought, man, that's hilarious. And, and anybody really thinking through it, they'd see the picture, you see. And they're like, wow, swallowing a, a gnat, swallowing a camel. But woe to you again, he says, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside full of extortion and self-indulgence. You see, they were not only praying and evangelizing, they were not only tithing, but, but they were reforming themselves. Outwardly, they looked real good. They cleansed the outside of the cup and dish, but inside, still full of extortion, still self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee first cleansed the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside may be clean also. The next woe is exactly along the same lines. He says, you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and uncleanness. Even so, you outwardly appear righteous to men, and there it is, but inside full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. A month before Passover, and we're just days before Passover as we look at this passage, at least for the Lord, Passover that last time with his disciples. A month before, they would go out and they would whitewash all the tombs all the way on all of the roadsides that led to Jerusalem. Why? Because if anyone stepped on one of them, because there were dead men's bones inside, they would be defiled, they would be unfit for worship and service, they couldn't partake of the Passover. So they would just paint all these things up, and if you were looking from a distance, they glistened in the sun, as does that glorious city. And they would just, you know, it appears pretty good. And then, of course, if you knew what it was, well, you already, you know, were thinking, no way. But if you didn't know what it was, the kids would be like, wow, look how pretty. And you're like, well, not, not really. And when you get close, you realize, man, these are tombs and, and there's corruption and decay and, and death. And, and that's what he was saying. These guys, outwardly, they were reformed. And reformation, by the way, that is often the goal of religion. Religion is, is a substitute for a right relationship with God. That's why I said you could be religious and still go to hell. I believe religion is of man and relationship. Well, that's what God's after. And so these guys, they were, they were like, well, we're reforming. We've stopped doing all that stuff and we've started doing all this stuff and we're keeping the law and we're not... And, and, and he's like, yeah, but what's going on inside of you? Because that's what God was concerned with. Now, he is concerned with the outward man. He says so. But first, he says, deal with the inward man. Then the outward will, will he'll come along as well. Then he says, Woe to you, verse 29, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous. And we say, or say, if we'd lived in the days of our fathers, we wouldn't have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves. You are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? They built the tombs of the prophets. You know, in February, and this is February 1st, we celebrate the birth of both George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And I think there's a parallel here. There, there's something. Because as we seek to honor them and we build memorials to them and we celebrate holidays for them, you've got to know that... that the things they believed in, the things they taught, the things they laid down, we have grown so far from them. And to say, well, you know, we're honoring them, not if we're rejecting the very foundation that they laid to, to make this country the great country it became. An, an understanding that we are created by God and that he is sovereign over us and that we need him in every area of our lives. But, but here's the thing. It, it, that's kind of what was going on with them. They were saying, well, you know, yeah, we know our forefathers. They, they killed the prophets. Yeah, it's kind of a bad deal, but we wouldn't have done that. Jesus says, no, you are testifying. You are their sons. And of the same stuff, by the way, just like them. 
made of the same stuff. And when he calls them servants and serpents and brood of vipers, I don't know if anybody's ever kind of, you know, ripped you up one side and down the other, and you're kind of like, you know, whoa, man, you know, don't spare my feelings. Tell me what you really think, you know. But, but these guys, it's like Jesus is saying, serpents, that's not really something you want your Lord to call you, you see. Brood of vipers, offspring of vipers. Later he'll say, you're of your father, the devil. Doesn't get any worse than that. And he says, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? And get this, he actually gives the answer in the very next thing he says. Therefore, I send you prophets. A couple things so significant. I have to pause. Rare to do in a comma, but I, I got to pause there. And here's why. He's moved from what has happened in the past and even what's going on in the present. And, he, and now he's saying, I'm going to send you prophets. I'm going to send you prophets. Don't miss that word. Who sends the prophets? Only the Lord, you see. If they're prophets of God, God sends them. It's a claim to deity. It's subtle, but it's there. I send you prophets. And this is future. Wise men and scribes. Some of them you will kill, see. Not you did or... No, you will. It's future. You'll kill and crucify them. Others you'll scourge in your synagogues, persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Bechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. He mentions Abel, first righteous man killed by his brother, you know, kids of Adam and Eve. It wasn't long after their fall, after their disobedience, their sin, their rebellion, that there was, well, problems with their boys. One's walking righteously, pleasing the Lord, the other's living jealously. And, and instead of doing what's right, he kills his brother. And he was the first to go that way. And then he mentions this guy, Zechariah. It's interesting, in, in the Hebrew Bible, the book of Second Chronicles was the last book of the Hebrew Bible. And Zechariah was the last martyr there in the book of Second Chronicles. And so it's like from A to Z, you guys have wiped out the righteous. That's what he's saying in essence. From the beginning to the end, you've wiped out the righteous. What could they have done? They could have responded to the prophets. They could have responded to the Lord. How could they keep themselves from hell? They could have realized that in spite of all their religiousness, their religiosity, they were still dead in trespasses and sin. So what was the Lord's heart? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing See, your house is left to you desolate. I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So you see, you can pray and evangelize and lead others and tithe and, and reform and be patriotic and persecute those you disagree with. You can do all they did and still end up in hell. How can we make sure we don't end up in hell? Well, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. He is the only door. He is the Good Shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He and He alone can give us everlasting life. So how do you avoid a, a horrible eternity? You just turn to the Lord Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. As many as received Him, to these He gave power to become the sons of God, even to those who believe on His name. But get it. Many will say, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, I never knew you. Make sure you haven't just appreciated who he is intellectually or affirmed him. No, no, you need to receive him and submit your life to him. Unless a man be born again, he'll never see the kingdom of heaven. That word man there is used generically. It's speaking of men and women, boys and girls. We need to be born again. How can such a thing happen? 
that which is born of flesh is flesh. We've all experienced that. That which is born of spirit is spirit. We need to be born again of the Spirit of God. And today the offer's on the table. If you know you're a guilty sinner, and you are, if God has convicted you of that reality, know He is a gracious and loving and merciful Savior. And He'll forgive your every sin. You will be born again. You'll find eternal life in Him if you just open your heart and say, Jesus, come in. It's in Matthew 7:23 where Jesus says, Depart from me, I never knew you. For me, there had never been another scripture that froze me in my tracks like that one did. Frankly, it's scary. I remember my first thought was that I needed to do more, but that's not what this is about. It's about knowing Christ and giving him dominion in our lives. My behavior and actions will never help me know the Lord better. However, Jesus told us in Matthew 7 that for everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds and to him who knocks it will be opened. Well, I desire to seek, find, and knock every day for the rest of my life. Seek to know the Lord better and for him to know me, and I am promised that I will receive. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.